in addition to praying for um, our children and for our families and for our church family, we're grateful for an opportunity tomorrow together with others in our community on Martin Luther King Day to pray for a greater unity among all people, regardless of color, background, and ethnicity. So I hope you'll not simply uh, treat tomorrow as a holiday, but as a day to celebrate the meaning of that day. Last year, it was great to see more than uh, 100 people gather in the cold to participate in this 30-minute time of listening to Dr. King's words and praying for unity. I think in light of uh, the recent uh, rise of COVID cases, it's probably best that it's outside. And yet, uh, I want to encourage uh, as many of you can to participate in this great opportunity. Also, I want to encourage as many of you as possible to to, to consider and pray about taking the necessary precautions this month, as I, I want to make sure I do my part to remain healthy, but also to not spread the virus to others. So uh, uh, I think these next couple of weeks might be a real challenge for us. But with that said, let's be wise and let's pray. I keep praying for God to just remove it from the planet, and I think eventually He will, but we'll just have to persevere through this time. In addition to uh, these things, uh, I want to celebrate with you. You know, there's a number of things to celebrate today. In fact, as I was writing this message, I thought, wow, you know, wouldn't it be something if we could even celebrate a Bengals victory, okay? So, and uh, I guess we can. First time in my 25 years in Ohio that the Bengals have won a a playoff game. But with that said… I wanted to celebrate with you today something that just really took my breath away and uh, just uh, really grateful for. Recently, uh, we as a church received an incredible, generous gift. It was, uh, as a church, we received a one-time unexpected gift at the beginning of this year of $69,422. Yeah, wow. Wow. And it was donated by an individual who doesn't even live in this area. Well, as a church leadership, as we received that gift, and honestly, when I received word that we were going to receive that gift, it brought me to tears. I was truly moved by the generosity of this individual. And I was also moved and reminded And we as a church leadership, as we reflected on this gift together, that you simply can't outgive God. You know, this past year as a church, we made a commitment, we've done this ever since 2014, to give 10% of whatever comes in on Sundays, on the weekends, we give that back out to mission. This past year, we tried to even give beyond that. Even some of you know at Christmas, we looked for ways we could give to others that are hurting and in need. And when we received this gift, I just thought, wow. I thought of two things. One, God truly blesses those who tithe, and I believe that with all my heart. And the other thing that I really was convinced of, God has a great future for us as a church. And God is smiling upon us 
And so we wanted to make sure that we let you know about this gift so that you could celebrate it with us. To know that we're going to put that in our general fund, we're going to pray for God to just make it clear for us the best way to utilize those funds, to honor Him and to advance His kingdom work. And so I invite you to join us in praying for that, but also just invite you to join us in praising God for what a good God He is. Let's pray about that. Father, we, uh, we sang songs today just praising and celebrating what a great God you are and honoring you. Father, as you are worthy of all of our honor, but our, our breath is sometimes just taken away by how great you are and how you keep showing up and doing good things in our lives and the life of this church. And we give you praise, Father. We thank you for this incredible one-time gift, and we pray, Father, that we will be good stewards of that and that we will use it in the very best way to honor you and to further your work here and around the world. Father, I pray that we will continue to look for ways that you want to show up in our lives and in the life of this church. And help us all be faithful, trusting in you with all of our hearts. I pray that today as we open up your word and read from it, that you'll really speak to us. You'll speak to us through everyone that shares from this stage, both myself and Tammy Stahl. And I pray, Father, that as, as a result of being here, that everyone present will have a real sense that they heard from you today. That's our desire. That's our heart. That's our prayer and request before you at this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, at this time, we'll go ahead and dismiss our students to their class, 6th through 8th graders, if you've not already made your way. As we've begun this year, we have refocused on our vision and our mission as a church. Two weeks ago, we unveiled our new Southwest vision, and I want to encourage you and, and just have you envision that being on the wall as you come in, the entry wall, but someday it'll read as a faith community, we want to be a, a faith community where lives are changed, families are strengthened, and purpose is found in Jesus. Last week, we re-emphasized our mission as a church to be a church that's serious about following Jesus and making disciples. And our prayer focus as we begin this new year, and we started doing this at the end of last year, giving you a prayer focus, something for you to pray about and think about and, and really really consider praying about throughout your week. And this is our prayer focus for this month, that we will truly be united as one in vision and in mission. And we want through this course of this, this year to hear stories from those who've embraced that vision. So today, I want to invite Tammy Stahl, our kids minister, to come up here on stage. Tammy just got back from uh, from a conference in Florida, and she's going to be sharing a little bit about her conference. And I have some other notes for a message. I hope I get back up here, um, but we'll see, okay? So I'm going to turn it over to Tammy now, and hopefully I'll get a chance to share a little bit more in a minute. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, I told Roger to have the Emmy Award music ready to go. Um, when he asked me before I left for my conference, um, it's been a couple years since I've gone, been in person, just like a lot of other things. Um, but I've been there, this was my sixth time. And I got to travel with my husband, Greg, this time. Um, and so we were there, and you can see on his shirt, he was a volunteer. Because two years ago when we went together, um, this is what he looked like. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you've ever met me, but if there's a person lounging by the pool and there are things that need to be done, you are going to be voluntold. Um, and so he was on the AV team and he ran ragged. And at the end of the night, we had seen each other maybe one time. And he said, I had 28,000 steps today. So be careful your posture around me, folks, because back in Kidman, we need you there to love on kids. And it's, it's serious business. Um, but I want to start with a quote from the conference that God cares so much more about you than what you do. And so that was kind of grounding as I went into my conference that, yes, I'm his kids minister here at Southwest, and yes, I get to love on the kids here, but none of that matters when I'm at the feet of the Father. And so I want you to know that, that you are just as important as me, and he loves you just as much as he loves me, and it doesn't matter what you do for him. So embracing the vision that we rolled out um, of where lives are changed, families are strengthened, and purpose is found in Jesus. And my job here is I get to love on your kids, and I get to advocate for them. And so we are rolling out a parenting workshop um, on January 29th. And it's going to be here in the building from 9 to 1030. It's got information um, just on child development, on what it's like to bring in Jesus during your everyday routines. And um, if, I, if you walk away from here that I've got it all figured out, you are sorely mistaken. Um, but we are called to be in community. And so I would love you to come alongside and be in my community as we parent together. And then um, coming out of that workshop, we're also going to do a parenting group starting up in February that's going to be um, called Intentional Parenting. It's about eight weeks long. Um, we'll meet in the building on Thursdays. Child care is provided because I know you're doing this because you have children. Um, so I would love for you to join me. Um, if you have any questions, if you want to talk about my conference, I've got this whole book of notes that I took. It was amazing. I could go on forever. Um, but I will let Roger do his message for you. So have a great morning. Thank you. Thanks, Tammy. You know, I met her, saw her in the hallway, and she said, I'm going to go wherever the Spirit leads me. And that's normally code to saying, I don't know how long I'm going to go. So, so I, was, uh, I was prepared for whatever. But um, along with hearing personal stories as we begin this year, we're revisiting some classic stories from Scripture to help us refocus on our calling to follow Jesus and make disciples. Today we're going to revisit the first of three stories that, that Jesus taught back-to-back to, back to emphasize a particular focus that was important for us to really understand Him and what He was all about and to really understand what he's calling us to be all about. Before we read the first of these three stories, uh, which is just entitled for today, A Story About Sheep, 
Let's read the context and the audience that Jesus first told these stories. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to turn to Luke chapter 15. As the gospel writer Luke describes the context of these three stories, and sometimes we can forget the context, and then we miss the the point of the stories. So let's look at the context before we get into the stories. In Luke 15, beginning in verse 1, we read this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, this is not the first time in Luke's gospel that we see Jesus come under the criticism of these religious leaders described as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses. These Jewish experts were troubled by the people that Jesus associated with while he was here on earth. Throughout the Gospels, we see this tension that exists between Jesus and the religious leaders. The Pharisees, a particular Jewish sect, took great pride in living pure lives in which they separated themselves from others in their culture who weren't obeying the law of Moses as described in the Old Testament. The Pharisees specifically were upset that Jesus continued to draw crowds of people who were described as tax collectors and sinners. Now, the tax collectors were seen not only as dishonest, uh, typically pocketing some of the extra money that they were charging, overcharging people for taxes, but they were also viewed as disloyal because they were collecting taxes for the Romans or for King Herod. With that said, it's more difficult to define the sinners that were being drawn to Jesus. They're kind of described in a generic way. But we can assume that they were considered by these religious elite as the irreligious within their culture. And these were the people that were drawn to Jesus. And what seems to really upset these religious leaders is that Jesus extended table fellowship with these irreligious, unwashed people. In the ancient world, to share table fellowship meant that you extended mutual acceptance. Isn't it interesting that the one who was without sin was the one that those who were described as sinners felt like they could approach? On the other hand, The religious leaders, the Pharisees, who took great pride in living a life that that was separate from the ways that others that didn't know the ways of God, they were put off that Jesus would associate and even celebrate with those who were considered outcasts or outsiders. It's in this context, and it's important for us to understand This is the context 
that Jesus taught three stories back to back. Let's read the first of those three stories today. In Luke 15, beginning in verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, this is a great story. It's a classic story. But let's go back and dig into this parable and draw out the reason that Jesus taught this parable to those who were muttering, those who were grumbling about the type of people that he was spending time with. First of all, as the master teacher, Jesus taught a parable or story to help them see his heart and in the process also to help them see their hearts. And as we read this story, even 2,000 years later, these stories can also expose our own hearts. Jesus begins by using an analogy that they could readily relate to, a shepherd and his sheep. He describes a shepherd with a large flock of a hundred sheep, and yet there's a problem. The shepherd has lost one of his sheep. Now, the parable doesn't really fix blame on either the sheep who is lost or the shepherd who has lost the sheep. And yet, the parable focuses on there's a problem. The problem is that one sheep is lost. The shepherd in Jesus' story doesn't play the percentages, and he doesn't say, well, I'm doing pretty good. I have 99% of the flock. Now, he knows that each of these sheep are valuable. It would be like Jane and I, my wife and I, taking our six grandchildren on an outing, maybe going to a museum, or going, you know, to, to take them to a matinee movie, or take them somewhere just out in an outing, just Jane and I and our six grandkids. We might have to get a bigger vehicle, but let's say we did that all at once. And then on the way back, we'd send out a group text to our kids. We do that often. We have these group family texts. And what, what would you think if we sent out a group text saying, we're having a good time, we're, we're driving home now, and we have five of them with us. We've only lost one. Now, how do you think our kids, their parents, would respond? I think the text would start firing back real quick. Which one did you lose? Do you have my kids? You see, we understand as parents or grandparents that each individual child is precious. For the shepherd, each sheep is valuable. 
And Jesus describes a shepherd who is deeply troubled that there is a lost sheep. And he brilliantly, Jesus brilliantly asked this question to the religious leaders who are upset with him for spending time with those that they consider the outcasts, those who've lost their way. And he knows the answer, the correct answer to the question he's about to ask them is yes. He asked, doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, this doesn't mean that the shepherd doesn't care about the 99. It simply means that at that moment, they are not the urgent priority. The urgent priority is to find the lost sheep before that sheep is lost forever. In fact, my hunch is that the shepherd made sure that a neighbor neighbor or some apprentice shepherd was properly going to take care of the 99. And yet, the responsible shepherd makes his top priority, his, his number one top priority going forward to find that one, the one that was lost. The shepherd in Jesus' story is very intentional. The story, along with the other two stories that we're going to unpack over the next two weeks, told in Luke 15, are going to help us as a church focus on what is going to be an urgent priority for us going forward in the year 2022 and and beyond. As a leader, as someone that's really thought a lot about this and someone that's prayed a lot about this, I sense very strongly from Jesus' teaching that we're called to make sure that we sense an urgency for the one. By this, I mean that we must recognize that there are many ones in our world, in our community, and in even some of our families who have lost their way. They possibly have never known the great shepherd. Or possibly they at one time were a part of the flock, but they've wandered away. But either way, they would be described by Jesus' critics and maybe even described by some of us as outsiders or maybe even right now outcasts. Our hope is that these three parables told by Jesus will help us see Jesus' heart for those that oftenly are described as the irreligious. And maybe even in the, in the process, expose our hearts to see if we have possibly become critical or self-centered like the Pharisees, the religious people of Jesus' day. Now, we have to acknowledge that as humans, there's a strong gravitational pull toward self-interest. If you don't believe me, then listen to a group of toddlers who are playing together. And you'll begin to see that they can very quickly identify their self-interest. Jane, I have a one-year-old grandson who is very verbal. It's amazing. 
You know, you don't compare grandkids, but this kid is very verbal at a young age. He kind of takes after his mother, okay? Because we've got stories to tell about her as well. But this past week, we learned from our daughter that our one-year-old toddler seemed to, has seemed to master at a very young age the word mine. She said he's repeating over and over again, mine. Now, I chuckled because she and her husband said they weren't going to be very positive and not use any negative words like no in raising him. But it's amazing to me that even though they've worked really hard because he's so verbal and learning words like mommy and daddy and please and thank you, but the word that he can clearly pronounce There's no doubt about it. He seems to have mastered a very young age is the word mine. The same can happen in the life of the church. As the natural tendency for each of us is to be focused on self-interest. And to ask ourselves these questions. What am I getting out of the church? How is the church meeting my needs. Yet as leaders of Southwest, as we've wrestled with passages like we're sharing today and over the next two weeks, we have asked ourselves the tough questions. Where should we place our focus? Where should we place our priority as a church? Now, the tendency is for churches to look inward, to circle the wagons and say, well, we need to make sure that we at least protect and take care of the 99. Yet as we wrestle with this story and these parables that Jesus told, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is reminding us of the urgency of intentionally going after the one that is not yet a part of the flock or has wandered away. If we're not careful, we can become like the Pharisees and teachers of the law and be more concerned about the focus of the insiders and the welfare of those that are in the flock instead of being concerned about the welfare of the outsiders. We can find ourselves even being critical of Jesus' priority of living our lives as a church being concerned about those outside the church. And we can find ourselves muttering or grumbling about a particular outward emphasis of the church. We can find ourselves muttering about the focus of our services, the type of music we have, the focus of the message, the continual emphasis on outreach and mission, the continual talk about starting point and first steps, baptism, because we can think to ourselves, hey, I'm already here. I'm a faithful member of the flock. I'm one of the 99. Aren't you going to give me some attention? And yet, Jesus is emphasizing through this parable the urgency of intentionally finding the one. Now, you might ask, are you saying we're going to forget about the 99? No, quite the contrary. Southwest leaders have committed ourselves 
to intentionally mobilize the 99 so that we can collectively be on mission to reach the one. Let me repeat that. We are committed to mobilizing the 99 so that we can be collectively on mission to go out and reach the one. I believe that's the heart of Jesus. Let's go back to the parable and see if we can catch the meaning or the real heart behind this story. Jesus describes the shepherd who is very intentional. He leaves the 99 and searches for the one, the one lost sheep until he finds it. And then Jesus says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I love this portrait that Jesus paints of the loving, caring shepherd who finds his lost sheep, tenderly puts the sheep on his shoulders and takes him home. And we're going to return to that image a little bit later in our time together. But let's look at what I think is the, the climax of the story when Jesus says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now, this might at first seem odd for the shepherd to have a party to celebrate a lost sheep that's been found. Shouldn't he be embarrassed or ashamed that he even lost the sheep to start with? And yet I think the point, this is the point of the story and the two that follow. The point is that Jesus is helping his critics who were the intended audience of this story to understand the importance of caring for the lost to care for those that are far away from God, and to celebrate when they are found. And just in case they missed the the point of this story, or in case we missed the meaning of this parable, Jesus explains the bottom line when he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, then over 99 religious persons who do not need to repent. Now, as I've studied this parable, and I've really sought to understand it from every angle, I've read what a bunch of people have said about this, I I really believe, after spending an amount of time in this, I, I believe that Jesus, as he says this last line of the parable, he says it with a smile on his face. And maybe with a tone of voice that's raising an important question for his critics. Those were the the audience that he was speaking. Or for that matter, any religious insider who possibly has lost sight of their own self-centeredness and their own need for forgiveness. When Jesus says or asks the question, The 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent? I think he's asking a question. I think he's being somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Because the truth is, there's not a person on this earth that doesn't need to repent. There's no one except one person that's ever walked this earth that's so righteous that they don't need to repent. 
The problem is that some can get so caught up in their own religiosity, their own self-righteousness, that they don't see their need for repentance. They don't see their need for continual forgiveness. That's the the self-righteous attitude that Jesus is addressing. And that's that self-righteous attitude that led the Pharisees to become very critical and judgmental and very hard on other people. After spending hours on this parable and reading what others had to say about it, I agree with the author Craig Keener when he explains this as the moral of the story. He says that the shepherd's friends rejoice when he finds that which was lost. So do God's friends rejoice when he recovers what was lost to him. Thus, Jesus' accusers who resent his fellowship with sinners he seeks to restore, may not really be God's friends. I don't know about you, but I want to acknowledge my need for a Savior. And I want in turn to place as a high priority on intentionally seeking after the one. Ultimately, I want to be a friend of God. How about you? Let's make sure that that we don't fall into the trap of the Pharisees. Instead, let's embrace the heart of Jesus and truly be a friend of God. As we transition to communion, let's realize that our story or parable for today powerfully resonates with the portrait of God found throughout Scripture. The the analogy of a shepherd who cares for our souls. The shepherd in the story parallels how Jesus would, on another occasion, describe himself as a good shepherd. As we conclude our time, we recognize that Jesus is the caring, loving shepherd who intentionally searched for each of us when we had lost our way. He, like the shepherd in his story, looks beyond our lost, hurried selves and is willing to hoist us and our broken selves and our burdens onto his shoulders and to carry us home. Jesus describes the shepherd as not reluctantly but joyfully putting our burdens upon himself. And that's ultimately what Jesus was willing to do for each and every one of us. He willingly went to the cross and took our burden of sin upon himself. See, when we observe communion, it's a time for us to remember that in a sense, we are all that lost sheep that Jesus came to find. And that when he went to the cross, he bore our burden of sin so that we could be found, so that we could eventually go home with him. During times of communion, we're reminded that we didn't seek God, but that he came in the person of Jesus and sought us when we were lost. He was willing to carry our burden of sin so that we 
could go home with him, be found, and find life. Let's give thanks during this time of communion that although at one time we were all lost, I know I was, but now the Savior has come and we've been found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we marvel at the brilliance, the wisdom of Jesus. How he could tell such a simple story. And it could cut through all the pride, the human pride. Cut through all the veneer of religiosity and cut right to the heart. And we're, we're amazed that these stories could last 2,000 years and still cut through all the defenses we would put up and cut right to our heart. Thank you that Jesus came to, to save us. Father, I thank you that when I was lost and ignoring you, you sent your son to die for me. Help all of us lay down our pride and recognize as we take communion how desperately we need Jesus as our Savior. Thank you that he was willing to become flesh and blood for us so that we could be called your friend. It's in Jesus' name we pray. during our time of communion we've all recognized our individual need for a savior and our hearts have been softened to how God might want to work through us to reach someone else if you've been moved today by the good news that Jesus has come to bring you life and that his teaching that you are a valued person, regardless of your mistakes, regardless of your failures, if you want to respond in any way to him our time from our time of worship, we'd love for you to fill out the communication card on the seat beside you or download our app and go to that section that says Sunday Feedback and let us know a response to the message today. 
possibly the portrait of heaven rejoicing for every sinner who acknowledges their need for a shepherd and his is willing to turn maybe that 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 portrait has called you to to be willing to turn from an old life to begin a new life if you want to learn more about how you can experience that we're we offer a what we call a starting point class we're going to offer it this wednesday we'd love for you to come so you can learn more about how you can experience that new life or maybe how you can be on mission with others here at southwest to help bring that good news of new life to others not only is starting point a great first step but also following this service we're going to have a connection brunch where you can meet with others and hear from small group leaders of what they're going to be talking about this winter because we think it's in southwest in southwest small groups in small groups that we can learn how we can help mobilize each other so that we collectively can go out and reach the one to share the good news with, with Jesus with them so if you want to come either to the starting point this Wednesday or to Connection Brunch following this service. We hope you'll check out those opportunities. But let's think about the heart of Jesus and God's heart toward us as we stand, if you're able, and sing one final song together.